My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 66, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, number 16, Deuteronomy 16, and Psalm 98. Number 16. Korah, son of Ithar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan and Ibiram, sons of Eliab, and On, son of Peleth, became insolent and rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? When Moses heard this, he fell face down. Then he said to Korah and all his followers, In the morning the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy, and he will have that person come near him. The man he chooses he will cause to come near him. You, Korah, and all your followers are to do this. Take censers, and tomorrow put burning coals and incense in them before the Lord. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. You Levites have gone too far." Moses also said to Korah, Now listen, you Levites, isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near himself to do the work at the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister to them? He has brought you and all your fellow Levites near himself, but now you are trying to get the priesthood too. It is against the Lord that you and all your followers have banded together. Who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? Then Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, We will not come. Isn't it enough that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? And now you also want to lord it over us? Moreover, you haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey or given us as an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Do you want to treat these men like slaves? No, we will not come. Then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, Do not accept their offering. I have not taken so much as a donkey from them, nor have I wronged any of them. Moses said to Korah, You and all your followers are to appear before the Lord tomorrow, you and they and Aaron. Each man is to take his censer and put incense in it, 250 censers in all, and present it before the Lord. You and Aaron are to present your censers also. So each of them took his censer, put burnt coals and incense in it, and stood with Moses and Aaron at the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Korah had gathered all his followers in opposition to them at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the glory of the Lord appeared to the entire assembly. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, separate yourselves from this assembly so I can put an end to them at once. But Moses and Aaron fell face down and cried out, O God, the God who gives breath to all living things, will you be angry with the entire assembly when only one man sins? Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the assembly, Move away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. 
Moses got up and went to Dathan and Abiram and the elders of Israel, followed him. He warned the assembly, move back from the tents of these wicked men. Do not touch anything belonging to them, or you will be swept away because of all their sins. So they moved away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Dathan and Abiram had come out and were standing with their wives, children, and little ones at the entrances to their tents. Then Moses said, This is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things, and that it was not my idea. If these men die a natural death and suffer the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them, with everything that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the realm of the dead, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt." As soon as he finished saying this, all this, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all those associated with Korah, together with their possessions. They went down alive into the realm of the dead with everything they owned. The earth closed over them, and they perished and were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, "'The earth is going to swallow us too!' And the fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, to remove the censers from the charred remains and scatter the coals some distance away, for the censers are holy. The censers of the men who sinned at the cost of their lives. Hammer the censers into sheets to overlay the altar, for they were presented before the Lord and have become holy. Let them be a sign to the Israelites." So Eleazar the priest collected the bronze censers brought by those who had been burned to death, and he had them hammered out to overlay the altar, as the Lord directed him through Moses. This was to remind the Israelites that no one except a descendant of Aaron should come to burn incense before the Lord, or he would become like Korah and his followers. The next day, the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You have killed the Lord's people, they said. But when the assembly gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron and turned toward the tent of meeting, suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron went to the front of the tent of meeting. And the Lord said to Moses, Get away from this assembly so I can put an end to them at once. And they fell face down. Then Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer and put incense in it, along with burning coals from the altar, and hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord. The plague has started. So Aaron did as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people, but Aaron offered the incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. But 14,700 people died from the plague, in addition to those who had died because of Korah. Then Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance to the tent of meeting, for the plague had stopped." Deuteronomy 16. Observe the month of Aviv and celebrate the Passover of the Lord your God, because in the month of Aviv he brought you out of Egypt by night. Sacrifice as the Passover to the Lord your God an animal from your flock or herd at the place the Lord will choose, as a dwelling for his name. Do not eat with bread made with yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction because you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. Let no yeast be found in your possession in all your land for seven days. Do not let any of the meat you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain until morning. You must not sacrifice the Passover in any town the Lord your God gives you. 
except in the place you will choose as a dwelling for his name. There you must sacrifice the Passover in the evening, when the sun goes down on the anniversary of your departure from Egypt. Roast it and eat it at the place the Lord your God will choose. Then in the morning return to your tents. For six days eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day hold an assembly to the Lord your God, and do not work." Count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. Then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a freewill offering in proportion to the blessing the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your towns, and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. Celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Be joyful at your festival, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants and the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns. For seven days, celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hand and your joy will be complete." Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. Appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God is giving you, and they shall judge the people fairly. Do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the innocent. Follow justice and justice alone, so that you may live and possess the land the Lord your God is giving you. Do not set up any wooden Asheron pole beside the altar you build to the Lord your God, and do not erect a sacred stone, for these the Lord your God hates. Psalm 98 Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have been the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people with equity. Adrian Reynolds describes this story in Numbers as two interlocking rebellions. One is about the priesthood, and the other is more generally about leadership. We are seeing an untethering between roles of priests and the chiefs of the tribes. This story echoes back to chapter 12, where Aaron and Miriam, both prophets, seem upset at the fact that they are not given the same role as Moses, or perhaps also the elders. Envy and pride seem to be at the heart of the conflict, and the story seems to indicate that a lack of remembering is a contributing factor. Remember who God is, what he's done, the purpose. The rebel hearts actually called Egypt the land of milk and honey instead of the promised land. This unbelief and blatantly untrue statement is quite shocking. 
Again, we see Moses interceding, even though he is angry too, and God responding with judgment and mercy. God sees this as a collective national rebellion, but chooses to hold key chief executors to pay the cost. Adrian Reynolds points out that the families of these chiefs were offered the chance to move away. Some did, as Deuteronomy 26.11 and 1 Chronicles 6.16-23 will attest to the genealogy continuing, but some stayed and paid the cost alongside their patriarch. Adrian also points out in his commentary that this is the first place where Sheol is used, and it's a Hebrew word meaning whatever comes next, seemingly meaning after death, but it is often misunderstood to mean hell specifically. The conspirators' costs being swallowed by the earth. It seems to invoke running and descent among the people. More rebellion, the cost this time, a plague that took many lives. And then we read about Moses instructing Aaron to act as an intercessor, ending the plague. Then we read in Deuteronomy 16, in today's reading, we are reminded of the strategies to avoid drift and the hardening of our hearts. Follow God's rhythm. Remember, keep the story close to your heart and soul. Use our strength to practice gratitude for all God has done, is doing, and promises to do, for the blessing and role He has given us. Joy brings strength to our heart and souls. It brings a desire to trust and respond. In Deuteronomy 16, 16, we are being reminded to give with a joyful heart. This is repeated in the New Testament. Take 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, for example, which says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I think it's important to remember that giving with a joyful heart is different than giving with a happy heart. Remember, happiness is a transient mood state, an emotion. It feels good, but like profit, it's an outcome. It's not a purpose. Joy is not an emotion. It's a practice. I read, or rather listened, on Audible to the Book of Joy, which is basically a giant conversation between the Archbishop uh, de Montutu and the Dalai Lama. It's an amazing read or listen, and something to highlight is the archbishop who describes joy as being much bigger than happiness. Happiness is often seen as being dependent on our our external circumstances, whereas joy is not. The Dalai Lama seems to echo this in the inversion, in the opposite, by saying the pain is inevitable and suffering is optional. He says, joy is a conscious choice. It's a practice, a way to respond to our circumstances. We may not be able to change our circumstances, but we can change how we respond. When I think about what it means to respond with gratitude, even when it hurts, I think of Psalm 69 verse 29, which says, but as for me, affliction and in pain, may your salvation, God, protect me. Then I think of the song by Hillsong, even when it hurts, I'll praise you. I can feel the focus of my thoughts choosing to remember, and I can feel the stirring of my heart letting go and reaching for the one who goes with me through the valleys and through the storms. Also, I want to read you a quote from an interview with Anne Voskamp, author of A Thousand Gifts, another book that has made profound impact on me. This interview is captured on the Theology of Work, and I linked it in the show notes. She points to the Greek word euharistio, and how central it is in the story. Euharistio, or in English we often refer to it as Eucharist, comes right out of the Gospel of Luke, found in the New Testament. In chapter 22, verse 19, it says, And he, being Jesus, took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, being the disciples. 
Eucharistia in Greek means to give thanks, and Eucharistio means to express gratitude. I'm going to quote Anne here. In the original language of the Gospel of Luke, he gave thanks, reads Eucharistio. The root word of Eucharistio is charis or haris, meaning grace. Jesus took the bread and saw it as grace and gave thanks. He took the bread and knew it to be a gift and gave thanks. Eucharistio, thanksgiving, enveloped the Greek word for grace. But it also holds its derivative, the Greek word chara or hara, meaning joy. So charis, grace, Eucharistio, thanksgiving, chara, joy. Deep chara, joy, is found only at the table of Eucharistio, the table of thanksgiving, the holy grail of joy. God set it in the very center of Christianity. The Eucharist is the central symbol of Christianity. This is just so cool to me. So it's this continual repetition where the Eucharist clearly places the the whole of our lives into the context of thanksgiving. One of Christ's very last directives he offers to his disciples is to take the bread, the wine, and to remember. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember and give thanks. This is the crux of Christianity, to remember and give thanks, Eucharistio. Why? Why is remembering and giving thanks the core of the Christian faith? Because remembering with thanks is what causes us to trust, to really believe. Remembering, giving thanks is what makes us a member again, too, of the body of Christ. Remembering, giving thanks is what puts us back together again in this hurried, broken, fragmented world. Oh, I love Ann Voskamp. The way she says things is so cool. The connection between remembering and the connection of thanksgiving, grace, joy, and expressing gratitude as the source and summit of the Christian life, which is so illustratively practiced in communion, sharing a family or common meal, which is often called the Eucharist, The Eucharist is a translation of the Greek word, as I mentioned, Eucharistia, which is a translation of the Hebrew word, barakah, which means blessed. It was often used in the prayers and connects with the important theme of receiving a blessing from God to be a blessing to his community and his community, creation, and kingdom. Ooh, so cool with Passover just happening and Good Friday and Easter just around the corner. This was such a meaningful reminder for me. Then, in the very next verse, Deuteronomy 16, 17, we're being reminded to give in proportion to the blessing we've been given. I'm reminded of the adage popularized by Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. I also think of President Kennedy, who said in a speech back in 1963 that our privileges can be no greater than our obligations. The protection of our rights can endure no longer than the performance of our responsibilities. Deuteronomy 16:17 says, each of us must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. Our purpose is tied up with giving from a place of remembrance that stirs gratitude giving in proportion to what we've been given. The Gospel of Luke also says this again, to whom much has been given, much will be required. This is more than money. So a fun exercise to think about is what else do you think applies here in terms of giving in proportion to what you've been given? Hmm, so much to reflect on there. And the last thing I want to highlight today in the reading in the very next verse, Deuteronomy 16, 18, where God tells Moses to establish judges and executive authority. This reminds me of Genesis 1, 26 through 28, but adds clarity. In Genesis, God creates humans for the purpose of ruling, filling, and subduing. And here, God is 
both reminding Moses and Moses reminding the people, but also bringing clarity to the how of ruling, where we do not forget that God alone is the legislator or lawmaker. He's the high judge and the executor. Yet, he is and has called us into vice regency. I get this term from Dr. John Walton's books on Genesis 1, 2, and 3. A vice regent is someone who is given a portion of representative power and authority to govern in a specific place in a specific way. We are being called to be just in this role, not being partial to one person over another or accepting bribes. We are beginning to get a glimpse into what it means to be a fair and just governor. More to come on this topic. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.